Yes, we are indeed recording, and yes, we are indeed Punk Ghost Pod, the weekly podcast that chronicles Fearless Records' Punk Ghost series. And once again, we are welcomed, welcomed, joined, joined <laughs> by um, third co-host Richard S. He. I am he, welcomed. He, he, you are, you are welcomed always. Yeah. M- music critic, film critic, musician. Yep. Etc. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have like a throwaway term for how you wish to be referred to, Richard? Mm, nah. Or a combination nah, of terms? Ma- make it a, a long explanation each time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was born in 1989? No, 90. Oh, of course. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'll, we can take this offline. I'll... Just write a bio for you that we can read out every time. Cute. Much like the bassist from Daphne Loves Derby. Oh my goodness! <laughs> ah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> got to got to woke up to woke up with a message this morning from Richard, um, describing how much you did not like the description that, of the uh, the bassist from Daphne. Loves stopped Derby. me in my tracks because. <laughs> Um, the whole thing about a bio is like, you're supposed to present biographical information, but not seem like you're trying to talk yourself up and puff out your chest so much that it's unbelievable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause that one really like crossed the line, you know, it's just like so transparent when people are trying like super hard. Yeah. I, like, you, you know, say, if like, you're, people... if you're like a decent level MySpace pure volume band, just like embrace that, you know, you're not like, yeah. Yeah, you're not like My Chemical Romance yet. God, no. That's the whole idea. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> but it, you should just let your successes speak for you. You shouldn't call yourself a prodigy. Well, totally. essentially, he didn't call himself a prodigy. Someone else called him a prodigy, but they, ah, they, yes. they took him. He absolutely had to have fed them like a press release that the yeah. guy was just like, yeah. yeah, that'll do, and just slammed it up on them. Yeah. I knew how to slap bass at 14. I was... Yeah. What? Oh man! Wow. I was damn good. Uh, you know what else is damn good? Mm-hmm. Britney Spears. So this week we are looking at Till the World Ends by the one and only Britney Spears as covered by IC Stars. But we do have a couple of items we want to discuss before we get stuck into the song. Yeah. So I've, I'm quite excited for this. We, <laughs> Aside from Richard coming on to talk all things pop music, which is one of his many fortes, he also 
wants to present his thesis for why we should abolish time zones, <laughs> which is something that I I know you've referenced a few times during our friendship, which I calculated the other day. We'll be celebrating a decade of friendship later this year. Very so true. So that's very exciting. I, I know. We should definitely... Yeah, it's September something, I think. Mm. I'm very excited to acknowledge that. I have some recordings um, even. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so Richard and abolition of time zones are two things that <laughs> have I have encountered at the same time a few times over the last 10 years. Um, but yeah, I've never really actually heard your thesis behind it except for every now and then on Twitter. It's just, and we should abolish time zones. <laughs> yep. So, um, in, uh, let me give the short spiel okay so um <laughs> I mean, places like vox and i think the atlantic have made the case for this it's not necessarily a new thing but um basically it both sounds it is right so time zones were invented in the 19th century effectively to synchronize like cities and countries according to railroad time because that was like you know the, pre- uh, the predominant mode of transport back in the day um before then, I believe each city more or less like ran according to its own time. Um, sunrise, sunset. Huh. Um, I think once like mechanical clocks were invented in the 19th century and like more widespread, um, things got more synced up, right? But essentially, yeah. I believe that we should devise a system to fit the 21st century where uh-huh. everyone's living more or less you know, internationally, something that's more synchronous. It'll be like going to the metric system from the Imperial because okay. right now it'd be like, it's like one thing if every territory in the world, like all 24, um, uh, I want to say latitudes, um, yep. actually aligned with the time zones. But like, there are so many exceptions and seasonal variations that it's like really difficult to keep up with. So yeah, I think essentially we should just adopt a universal time. Um, maybe go off Greenwich mean time or like UTC, which is something that uh, software engineers already use. That's concrete. Okay. Um, 24-hour time. And I think it would make things... It'd make it a lot easier to do anything, like, internationally, especially if you're trying to calculate, like, multiple countries. So, for example, yep. like, live streams, business meetings, air travel, um, mm-hmm. these would all be relatively objective. Because, like, right now, yep. for example, if I want to arrange a meetup across three time zones, like say in the UK and the US, I need to have multiple clocks on my phone or I need to have like a giant spinning 24 hour wheel with markers, which I literally use by the way. And I would have to do like, yeah, I would have to do multiple calculations across each territory. Right. I'd have to be like, uh, um, the, this is my range between, uh, 2 PM and 5 PM, which is also, uh, like 11 AM to three PM or, you know, so far. Yeah. Yeah. It gets like more complicated, the more, uh, places you add in, obviously. Yeah. But it's yeah. not like it's an infrequent thing. Like a ton of people have to work this way. Um, so essentially I'm saying by adopting a universal time, you would make the actual number objective across the world, but we would right. change our relationship to what that number means, depending on where we live. So it's not like we would have to get up at midnight in Melbourne or anything like that. It's just like, yeah, maybe we would get up at 
2200 and yes. go to sleep yep. at uh, like 1600 or something like that instead of 9am or uh, midnight. Um, yes. Because when okay. you think about it, like in life, when people get up and go to work, eat lunch or go to bed, it's like already relative, right? Yeah. And people work yep. night shifts. Uh, farmers get up at sunrise, sunset. And like, yeah, sunrise mm-hmm. and sunset also are relative depending on what season you are, depending on where you live in the world. Um, China is like already under one time zone. So that's okay. not totally unfamiliar. And I think people seem to do fine with that as far as I know. Like yeah. a lot of farmers in China. Um, so yeah, that's essentially it. Like the one flaw in my opinion is that I'm not entirely sure how you would divide days. Um because obviously, you know, between uh, zero and 24, like something has to reset. Um, That wouldn't necessarily correlate exactly to um, when we go to sleep and get up. But that is a question for a better philosopher than me. (laughs) (laughs) You are very well against that. The way it would make my life easier is I wouldn't have to figure out what time WWE pay-per-views are playing. Exactly. I need to do like <laughs> three calculations just to work that out. Because right like when you watch it on, when you watch anything on like the WWE network and it's like streaming Sunday. Yeah. At 8 p.m. Eastern Pacific time. It's like, what the fuck time is that yeah. for, and, for Australia? And recently with Daylight Savings switching over in Australia, um, uh, relative to New York time, we actually lost two hours, not one. Oh. I don't even know how oh. long. Yeah. Yeah. So, time is weird, basically. Time is a flat circle. As Matthew McConaughey Jesus. Once <laughs> that, that, yeah, far out. Anyway. I, yeah, I, it, the days part, like the idea of like, we've still got the 24 latitudes, is it? Like, yeah. if we went under 24 hour time, like we were talking with friend of the pod Joe about this last night. Like that would make sense. Yeah. But yeah, I hadn't factored in like ticking over from one day to the other because there would still be that lag. Yes. I don't, yeah. Well, thank you. I feel very smart now that I've <laughs> had an intellectual discussion for the day. <laughs> not that Brittany is not intellectual, but um, yeah, that's a nice little off the beaten path discussion for us here at Punk mm-hmm. Goes Pod HQ. Yeah, yeah. A thought experiment. It doesn't all have to be that punk going pop. Exactly. Yep. So another point that I wanted to bring up this week, which I thought was fitting, yes. given that we are talking about our Queen Brittany this week, uh, I want to talk about the rise of Comrade Knee Spears. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, Brittany made a classic sort of Britney post where it's sort of very out of context from everything else. Uh, but the difference between her usual fare, which was it'll be some variation of her working out or painting something or dressing up in her outfits and just doing like a little catwalk sort of thing. This time she, yeah, March 24th, two days before my birthday. So I consider it an early birthday present from Britney. Um, she posted a repost of a text post from Mimi Shu, who is very much aligned with socialist ideolo- ideology. Am I pronouncing that? Yeah. I don't know. Thank yeah. you. So I'm just going to read it out. 
So imagine waking up, scrolling through your newsfeed and seeing nobody but Britney Spears aligning herself with the following. During this time of isolation, we need connection now more than ever. Call your loved ones, write virtual love letters. Technologies like virtual communication, streaming and broadcasting are part of our community collaboration. We will learn to kiss and hold each other through the waves of the web. We will feed each other, redistribute wealth, strike. We will understand our own importance from the places we must stay. Communion moves beyond walls. We can still be together. And so Brittany posted that, zero context, and repeated the line, communion goes beyond walls with three rose emojis, which I did not know this, but apparently three roses is a symbol of socialism well i think it's just one rose potentially but um a lot of people involved with the dsa the democratic socialists of america use that in particular oh okay in twitter and stuff so so yeah that blew my mind when i woke up and saw that because i was like who first of all who let her into her account because I def- I know it's awful, but like I definitely get the impression sometimes that someone else is posting on her behalf. Like, I don't know. Yeah, every like well, just someone, like just a PR person, sort of. Her posts that aren't this left of center are often met with lots of comments being like, "Are you okay?" Because mm. there'll be like repeats of posts or people will pick up like inconsistencies with her post going up at a certain time and it might be an outfit from a photo shoot like months ago or something. And so there's a lot to unpack in terms of her own agency as a person on social media. I will have more to say about this later, I think, but yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But then on the other hand, I was like, this fucking rules. Like Mm. (laughs) I think, A lot of commentary has already been posted about it everywhere else, but just this compared to the likes of Gal Gadot and everyone else doing Imagine, like... Well, I I mean, I saw the thing that was like, someone raised the point of like, Lady Gaga has raised $35 million for this thing Mm. and fucking Gal Gadot sang a song in her apartment thinking it was going to make people happy. Yeah. Well, not just Gal Gadot, but it was Gal Gadot's well, yeah. idea, you know. And, like, it's all very lovely and, like, touchy-feely it's, sort of. But It's not really, though. But, yeah, like, I was just so impressed to see Britney coming through like this. Yeah, Britney, get your money and <laughs> like, your healthcare, uh, girl. I, yeah. So, I think it, it relates to the idea that um, after this is all over, um, if it is over... Like, uh, things won't necessarily go back to normal, you know, like what is normal, you know, exactly expose a lot of things as, you know, kind of arbitrary constructs. And so hopefully like once, you know, people are safe and we are able to go out, like we'll have a better kind of outlook on what society should be, I would say. Yeah. Like politicians and social commentators are already calling this the new normal, but when we move a step beyond this into another new normal, like we can't afford to go back to the way we were. Like Mm. we have to learn something from this. Mm. So yeah, I like bring on Brittany and whoever else wants to be posting this kind of content 
and backing the likes of Mimi Shu and yeah, like fucking absolutely redistribute wealth, like strike, like do all these mm. excellent things, like please, it would be amazing. Um, and so of course it like spawned a bunch of like comrade Britney memes, which I thought were delightful, <laughs> but yeah, more than anything, I just really appreciated that. Yeah. Someone who could have just said nothing decided to back some form of sentiment that wasn't just being inside feels like jail all the time, mm. which, and also like in that sense, Brittany kind of has been in like her own prison for a while, like under conservatorship mm. from her father. Like she is already in a very unique position. So it's a lot more meaningful for this to sort of spring from her. Yeah. So that is my book report on why we should all follow Comrade Spears into the future. You know what? Last week you got an A minus. Today you get an A plus. <laughs> Thank you. I have lots of time, and apparently we're all meant to be super productive with our apparent time <laughs> off from whatever. So I've just been writing lots of book reports about things. Apparently. Oh, nice. Have you? I have not. Uh, <laughs> I wish. <okay. laughs> but I was, I do have something that I want to pitch to you offline, Ooh, Richard. So, okay. In addition to our other thing that we may or may not collab may, on. May or may not. But yes. It's that heavy metal wrestling podcast that it we've is. Been <laughs> I've, been, I've been keeping it a secret from you this whole time. Yeah. I actually fucking adore wrestling and everything it stands for. Yep. Yep. Just sign me up. <laughs> On that note, let's get into the song. All right. Who wants to take on discussing the original? Britney's your bitch, so you can uh, take it, I reckon. Who, me? Yeah. Are you happy for me to take this oh, one, Richard? Go for it. All right. I might butt in occasionally, but I'll let you. No, please do. Please. Yeah. I welcome it. So... Till the world ends. I really don't like the way they've spelled till. I'm going to put my <laughs> my physical hand up. Yes. Because I used to have that same hang up as you. Yeah. Apparently till, T-I-L-L, means the same thing as... I it, know it does, but it just feels wrong. Like, I still would prefer the apostrophe T-I-L. Yeah. yeah. But look... It, it's not grammatically incorrect, but... It's one of those things, it's like where there's two options, but you just sort of align yourself with one and the other one feels gross like it's because the apostrophe t-i-l can mean only one thing whereas t-i-l-l means multiple things mm. you know like a till where you put your money in in a business yes yes you know yes so till the world ends was released in 2011 and it is from britney's album femme fatale and the song was written by Kesha Siebert, uh, that Kesha, if you're wondering. It was also written by Lucas Scottwold, a.k.a. Dr. Luke, who is cancelled. There yeah, I said we've it. Already, we've already discussed Dr. Luke, so. Yep. Uh, also written by legend Max Martin and a guy that we haven't discussed yet, Alexander Cronland. Uh, so, Richard, you've got some notes here. Please I'm go for it. Or have you that have been deleted. <laughs> Oh man, making Richard, me. You have some notes here. No, you don't. Making I was like, me out to be a... 
making me have to be a goddamn liar, Richard. What is this? <laughs> so Alexander Cronland is a Swedish producer and songwriter, so you know he's good. Uh, he's worked with Britney before, so he co-wrote Lucky and Don't Go Knocking on My Door from Britney's second album, Oops, I Did It Again. Um, sad note, that was released in 2000, which means it'll be 20 years this year in a couple of months' time. Why is that sad? Because we're old. Because time, time is, is marching on. Yeah, but that's timeless. Like, that's a timeless song. Yeah. Well, like, Don't it's go a knocking on my album. door, isn't <laughs> I see. I like I that song. Again, is... Don't go knocking on my door. Don't Just, go uh... knock my door. Yeah, I do like that. Yeah. Um, but fuck me, like twenty years. I I just I'm... yeah, I was in grade five. I remember it. I... <laughs> I'm just. I... I'm very much still in that period of like having a crisis where every. 15, 10, 15, 20 year anniversary is just doing my head in. If you want to keep harping on it, I will bring up the fact that the Oops, I Did It Again film clip was a sexual awakening for me. <laughs> for many people. All right. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It was an aesthetic awakening for me. Um, hmm. And Alexander Cronland also co-wrote If You See Me from Circus, that w- which was released in 2008. Uh, and then, of course, we can talk about Kesha Siebert, a formerly known as Kesha with a dollar sign in the middle. So I don't know. I think I sort of retconned her to have written more songs than I thought she had. But in saying that, she has written some bangers for some other artists. Yeah, the most important one. She doesn't have a lot of hit singles for other artists, but obviously Till the World It Ends is probably the most notable one, I would say. Yeah. The most shocking one, in my opinion, is Alice Cooper. Mm. Right, he wrote an Alice Cooper song. She is a goddamn legend. She had Iggy Pop so, on her 2012 album, Warrior. She did. Yeah, that's was, awesome. Yeah, she's done some cool shit. Like she has the Eagles of Death Metal on yeah. Rainbow as well. Okay, like, that's cool. She's she's a cool lady, and her mum sounds like she's awesome as well. Indeed. Um. So and lucky for us, we will be talking about Kesha down the line at the moment. We are slated to talk about Kesha in August 2021. Cool. So looking, looking forward to it. Yeah, look, mm. just mark that in your calendars. Um, but for me, the second most important song that she has written is This Love by the Veronicas, uh, which was released in She's also written for the likes of Flowrider, Miley Cyrus, Miranda Cosgrove, Ariana Grande, and Big Time Rush. Uh-oh. That is literally the only bar of Big Time Rush I've ever heard. Like, I do not know that. Is that this song? I, uh, I don't think so. I don't know any. <laughs> yeah, I only know Big Time Rush from, like, a vine, yeah. and that's it. So, Kesha, and again, I consulted... The best source of information, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Um, in 2011, Kesha said of the song that it was inspired by me, meaning Kesha, imagining Britney and any female musician touring the world. 
when you go out and you're having an amazing magical night and you don't want to go to sleep and you want it to last until the world ends. And to MTV News, she noted that she considers herself a songwriter before and above everything else. So in her words, it's an honour to write for one of pop music's biggest icons. Wow. Um, yeah. So look, it's got a pretty impressive team behind it, minus Dr. Luke. Um, and to me, like, it's very, like, it has Kesha and Dr. Luke just written all over it. Like, it's just that very specific period of time. Like, I could definitely see this being a Kesha, probably more of a B-side. I can't see it skyrocketing the same way if it were Kesha at the helm singing it for some reason. But, yeah, what a song. Um, and then notably, seeing as Kesha co-wrote it, there is a Femme Fatale remix that features Kesha and Nicki Minaj on guest vocals. Which I'm a big fan of, um... I, yeah, quite the cultural moment when those three. Oh my god! Yeah, for the first time, um, really makes me wish that the full Kesha demo was out there because I know the yeah. um, for example, like the Bonnie McKee uh, version of "Hold It Against Me." Um, actually, yes. leaked, actually leaked before the Britney single came out, which was really weird, like oh, a week shit. before or something. And they're like actually quite similar, so you can see how like Britney was influenced by. It their vocal yeah um yeah one thing to note is that in the original song britney sings sicker than the remix and then in the actual remix they somehow managed to like manipulate her voice to say this is the remix so that still blows my mind i noticed that you got it you noticed that i want it that i could take it to the next level baby So I love that because I'm assuming they didn't get her into a studio just to record another bar real quick. Like they literally just chopped and screwed Sicker to somehow read as this. Yep. <laughs> That's wonderful. She, she probably says this at some point in the song. Or like yeah. took uh, this out from one of her other songs. Wait, <laughs> this is actually the first line of the first, uh, the first verse of the song. So <laughs> It makes me think of that the South Park episode that was like Chef's last episode. Oh yeah. And his eyes like they had a kind of famous split, Isaac Hayes and Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Oh yeah. because yeah. um, they made fun of Scientology. Fuck. <laughs> and <laughs> basically so Isaac Hayes didn't come back to voice this last episode. And so they just chop bits from each like they just chop chef lines from the episodes of the series. Oh man. And it's and I think they like it's obviously like supposed to be shit, but it's like noticeably just shit. And yeah, so it just makes me think that of that like maybe they just took it from somewhere else. It reminds yep. me of um of when Nancy Marchand died, um in between seasons two and three of The Sopranos, I think. And so yep. um they have yeah she plays Tony Soprano's mother, and this is in like the year two thousand and one or something. So what they do is like get old footage of her like kind of cut it out 
have her sitting in a chair and she's like uh, saying all these kind of unrelated lines as like Tony Soprano, James Gandolfini, like acts around a dead person. Oh man. Um, wow. Real weird. Uh, How long do they do that for? Uh, oh, one episode. It was like she had her oh. one last um, appearance where she was looking a bit fuzzy around the edges. And then oh, no. next episode, it's like, oh, Olivia Soprano died off screen. Um, I'm sure Blu-ray has done that no favors. Oh, God, no. Like, the one wow. blip on, like, another way is amazing. Sure. I never made it past the first season. Oh, it yeah. gets it gets more interesting, actually, I will say. But this is not yeah. a Sopranos yeah. podcast. <laughs> we haven't pulled that one out for a while, so I'm oh, glad yeah. that you have. Hmm. So, yes, I Richard, you have... will hijack this now. So. Please do. Um, Go for it. I think the Femme Fatale album is very much a showcase for the producers. Um, yeah. Like Dr. Luke, Max Martin, they're very much operating at their like 2010s peak, in my opinion. Um, yeah. There's Bloodshine Avant, who did Toxic and um, a lot of Britney's Blackout album. Um, they did right. Peace With Me as well. Um, who else? I forget. Um, oh, Will I Am, who. Kind oh, of, of course. Song is kind of not great. <laughs> I love it. Is that um Big fat bass? bloody pardon? Big fat bass. Oh no, I'm thinking of a different one. Don't it's worry. Dreaming Out is like uh Yes. That song track. is a banger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway. So continue. yeah, I feel like this album still sounds very forward thinking um to this day. Still sounds very modern. Uh-huh. Um actually more it's kind of aiming for futurism like more than a lot of current pop ironically right just yeah it's like notable that britney did not seem to have a very high level of involvement in its creation um she only has one songwriting credit for one bonus track which i think she has a few more on blackout and circus like her previous two albums um see i find that surprising because i would have assumed it would be the flip side like Less engagement with those two, but more with Femme Fatale. I don't know yeah. why. The um the narrative is quite um all over the place, like of her um yeah personal life and her engagement. Which, speaking of which, I am about to copy and paste another segment up. <laughs> Relating to excellent, that. yeah. Um, I just want to say that Britney Spears is a lot of things and has been a lot of things, but she has never ever been accurately described as a Femme Fatale. I don't think that's accurate. <laughs> Yeah, I think as a fan, for me, the only time she ever fit Femme Vital was the Oops, I Did It Again video. Yeah, maybe or the like, perfect video, but... Yeah, or like Do Something or something like that. Like, yeah. But that's very much like a caricature. Like it's not... I don't see her embodying Femme Fatale in like a true sort of sense. Yeah, which is... Like it's sort of used for like humour almost. Yeah. Or like sort of kitsch so i really don't know where they got this album title from um <laughs> <laughs> i guess it just to me. yeah i guess like alliteration it's kind of fancy and intriguing but yeah mm. and um, yeah so the album was a very big commercial success and arguably her last big cultural moment i guess there's work bitch um which is from two yes. years later but um it's funny that it did so well because really behind the scenes, like 2011 might've been an even more contentious year for her than 2007 and 2008. 
because um yep. those yes were kind of uh you know big ups and downs but she did produce two albums um at that time which at least one of them is really good like blackout is probably her best album um okay yeah. see i never actually gave blackout the attention it probably deserves Ooh. mostly because i didn't want to associate it with struggle britney like yeah interesting that because was the era was- where it was recorded before she went into rehab. Um, yeah, so again, okay. The, time, the timeline is like a lot more squiggly than you would think. Yeah, yeah. Because um, oh, it's funny because I listened to two Britney podcasts and there was a third one. Um, yeah. <laughs> one's called It's Britney Bitch, which is amazing. Um, they went through her career like year by year for 20 years. Um, okay. So that, that uh, yeah, so one's hosted by two gay men and the other one is hosted by like a 30 something straight woman who's like the same kind of age and demographic in, as Britney. And there's almost nice. like zero overlap between the two, which is just incredible. Like, wow. Okay. Says Holy a lot shit. about her career and like what she means to people, I guess. But um, she contains multitudes. Yeah. But it's like the deeper you dive into 2011, the weirder it gets because um, it, if you watch her like TV and her live performances and even the music videos, like it doesn't really seem like her heart's fully in it like she doesn't yeah. have the same like level of determination she did as a dancer um yeah it was like very yeah. much like she's regaining her old confidence like even in 2008 yeah. um aside from like the vmas um she seems more present um yeah which is a weird one and like britney's actually is. arguably my personal favorite pop singer like pure vocalist of all time but she never really has been quite the same since 07 as a singer yeah i agree like she yeah she had this real quality to her that sort of got lost somewhere like she's still great but yeah there's just some and i yeah i reckon like 2007 is around about when i dropped off the Britney train yeah. for the most part. And I think it is because I sort of tie it with, yeah, like that image of Britney not having a good time. And I almost didn't want to. Totally. Yeah. Like I didn't want to buy into it. I didn't want to encourage it in any way. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I think, I guess the difference is that in 07 and 08, it was very obvious she was going through a tough time. Um, like yes. it was impossible to hide that. Whereas in 2011, um, I feel like certain things kind of recurred and it was kind of brushed under the table. Um, Yeah. They definitely tried to do damage control. Yeah. Like Vulture coined the term zombie fame to kind of describe um, her overall like demeanor and seeming like unwillingness to take part in all this. Um, Yeah. I think it was basically as a result of like some struggles with the conservatorship, which um, she might've thought that, uh, she would already like be legally emancipated by then, but like it's still ongoing, yeah. which sucks. And um, it, also yeah. like a really tough promo schedule. But yeah, yep. Good lord. Anyway, that's yeah. as much as I want to speculate, but yeah. Question. No, no, I reckon you're on the money with it. Um, and yeah, I especially the note of her heart not really being in it. Like, we'll definitely return to that when we talk about the video. I reckon because mm-hmm. that's something we both. Um, here at least, like me and Sam, we recognized that pretty immediately when we started watching this. Cause I'd seen the video when it came out, but I hadn't paid a hell of a lot of attention to it. So yeah, rewatching it even just a few years, well, what, nine years, I guess 
on and yeah there's just there's something there anyway um i moved another note around (laughs) (laughs) it it makes sense it makes sense we're flowing shifting the goalposts all right so samuel do you want to take on the chart performance absolutely (laughs) get ready for my my uh best uh reading out voice all right no, I won't. Make it natural. No pressure. So uh, this song, it uh, peaked at number one in a number of different places. Mm-hmm. Poland, Russia, South Korea, Spain, and the US Billboard Dance Club songs chart. Mm-hmm. Peaked at number eight on the ARIA charts and number 10 on the RMNZ charts. Disgraceful is what <laughs> I believe you put in there. That is some which... editorial on my end, because as a dual Aussie slash Kiwi, like, fucking come on, guys. What like, is the RM in that? Uh, radio music or recording. Hang on. Radio Mike. <laughs> radio Man. Radio um, Michael. <laughs> let me check. On the US Billboard year-end charts, it reached number 16 on mainstream, top 40. Recorded number... music New Zealand. You're welcome. Ah. Number 17 on Dance Club Songs, number 26 on Dance Slash Mix Show Airplay, 27 on Hot 100, number 50 in Rhythmic, number 71 on the ARIA year-end charts. So I jumped in here, and Richard has answered, but I'll get him to answer in person. We'll make it supernatural-like. So what is the function of having so many charts under, like, something as big as Billboard, for example? Like it- Dance, Hot 100, Rock that sort of thing. Like, yeah, it just, it feels like there's a lot of crossover, which I get that they need to encapsulate, like, all of the different genres. But, holy shit, that's a lot of charts. I think it, cause yeah. it does encapsulate a whole bunch of different genres. Like, you know, there I should mean, be a chart. For yeah, I, uh, Billboard, until, um, I think until, like, 2014 or 15 or something, really was, like, 90% an industry reference point. Yeah. Um, like yeah. the magazine was not really bought by a casual audience. And the website yeah. was like actually very different until it got bought out. Um, uh, so they've rebranded quite well. Like to me, Billboard is now like kind of a Rolling Stone competitor in what they do. Um, yeah. The case yeah. Until recently. Um, but yeah, all those charts I'm pretty sure for really just like in the industry and like radio programmers in particular, um, right. Because a lot of them correlate to like direct um, radio formats or like again like dance and chart formats and things like that um, or demographics. Yes, but I think the vast majority of them aren't very significant to like anyone else. I think, especially now that streaming culture has somewhat overrun the like more natural feel of radio slash like television slash whatever else i actually might think it be it might be more natural now um okay that uh before it used to be uh before the the charts used to be a pure reflection of sales right so that's a good point yeah who went out and bought that album or that single that week but um yeah it's like these days streaming reflects more so um how people actually consume music and how it kind of remains in the cultural consciousness. Um, That's true, yeah. Because, yeah, before it was radio plus sales, and now yep. it's all of that plus 
YouTube plus streaming divided by like a thousand streams to one buy or something, but it still has an effect. And, you know, as a result, like all the songs can chart again, which is really fascinating. Like Mariah Carey getting her what? Like yeah. 19th <laughs> number one with All I Want for Christmas. Finally. That's so, nuts. Yeah. But I respect it. She deserves it too. She really does. That's a good point. Yeah. I guess like to me, I've always associated charts with like being a kid and watching Rage or video hits mm. and like having the countdown from like mm. whatever to number one. But I forgot that's what video hits used to do. Yeah. yeah. What a time to be alive. I miss that so much. Same. Um, and you get mad when something you didn't like was number one. Yeah. yeah. But like, yeah, now that I think about it critically as an adult, like that would have been more of an almost industry construct than like a natural reflection of taste. Not, yeah. I don't know. And also um, chart, like Billboard chart watching for like with its relationship to stand culture, that was not yes. really a thing until recently either. Um, absolutely pro- like probably if you were a hardcore like mariah stan or something but um yeah you say like, like i can yeah it stands you know compete based on like sales and stuff and you know flop oh god yeah so. that's a, you just have to see like the release week day of any like sort of stan icon like taylor ariana like yeah just the amount of social media posts being like just stream everything like Streaming a bazillion times, it's just like, oh my goodness. Justin Bieber literally did that for Yummy. <laughs> like, buy, just buy it, buy it multiple times. Do it. He's like getting on people's like, like famous YouTubers. See, but the sad thing is that he was asking that himself. He was doing it himself. <laughs> he was actually, yeah. He was actually like, oh, and so you you listen to Yummy, yeah? You like Yummy, don't you? Yeah. Tell me, or tell me you like Yummy, or else I'm gonna comb my creepy mustache some more. <laughs> I think part of it was that he took like a bunch of images from fan sites saying to stream and buy yummy and to, you know, leave your Spotify on repeat while you sleep and stuff like that. But I know he or his fan base took that tactic from, I believe, Chris Brown's fan base when Chris Brown released like a two and a half hour, like 45 song album, whatever. So. um, And wasn't that in itself a maneuver to try and bulk up his or like beef up his streaming activity? Yeah, no question. Like very craven. It's longer than most like Swans albums. So (laughs) Jesus, I did not listen to it. (laughs) Good, (laughs) he doesn't deserve it. Uh, Um, to cap off our figures for this episode, so "Till the World Ends" was certified two times platinum in Australia, three times platinum in Sweden. Excellent, good mm -hmm. job. Platinum in Italy, and then certified gold in Denmark, Belgium, Mexico, New Zealand, excellent, and Switzerland. And finally, certified silver in the UK. And again, I just made a note here. It would be kind of neat if these certifications meant the same thing worldwide because it never really occurred to me, like, platinum means something different between countries depending on, like, the number of sales or the number of Mm. streams. or Relative to the population, I guess. Yeah, that's a good point. This is my, like, time zone abolition argument. Just abolish, like, different categorization of music. Anyway. I wish there was actually, like, a global chart or certification. That would be cool. For sales, because I know it doesn't exist. And, you know, for example, when, um, after Michael Jackson died, people were spouting the figure that, like, Thriller sold 200 million albums worldwide, which has now been debunked, but it took a lot of math and a lot of like 
actual research for someone to do that. It's more like oh. 70 or something. So there you Yeah, because I was going to say, I thought even in like 2009, it was, and I'm saying only, but it was at about 40 million. Yeah. I think so 40... that's a huge leap after his death. Yeah, I think 40 million mm. US, maybe. Yeah. Mm. But I could be wrong. Anyway. It feels like it should be doable. Like, it feels like we should have the data to feed into a global count. Mm. But then it somehow isn't done. Someone's anyway, TM, 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 we'll get onto it. <laughs> um, so in terms of critical acclaim, again, I have borrowed from our dear friends at Wikipedia. I probably should pay them a couple of bucks. Um, <laughs> so Rolling Stone and Billboard both deemed Till the World Ends the best, third best song of 2011 in their respective end of year lists. Uh, Sam Lansky of Pop Crush considered the song to be the best pop song of 2011. And to quote, he said, there wasn't a more exuberant pop song this year. Mm. Digital Spy also can... Oh, do you have a thought there? No, I'm just, I'm just like mentally chin stroking and thinking if there is a more exuberant <laughs> pop song. Hold on, let me, let me consult my, my years. Uh, yeah. Can, can I ask, did you know what the number two and one were? I of, did not. Billboard right. or Rolling Stone. Yeah, I should have looked that up. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, Beyonce released four that year, so Love on Top and Countdown are officially more exuberant. Ah, uh, okay. That's Sam yep. I like you, but yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get out. Uh, Digital Spy also considered the track to be the best song of 2011, naming it, and quote, Britney's best track since Toxic, and they commented... Judging from its chart position, it's also her most underrated hit. It hit number and three then finally... on the Hot 100, actually. So, beg your pardon. Um, it hit uh, number three on the Hot 100, which I think we may have. Missed. Ah. Yeah. Um, I know that okay. they released the remix very much as an effort to push it to the top. So, yeah. Right. But very competitive year, 2000, uh, 2011. So. Yeah. Uh and Billboard readers voted the song the best song of the 2010s so far in 2015. Yeah. Sam is farrowing as brown. Oh, best song of the 20. 20- I was thinking best song of 2010 so far in 2015. But yes, I, I realize what that means. Nah, all good. I just realized I stole the rest of that reading duties from you, Sam. I apologize. I don't mind. <laughs> You can read out all the cool beef shit later on. Yeah, cool. All right. Um, Richard, we will throw to you first. So, What do you think of this song? um, I I really love it. I love it then. I love it now. Um, Actually, no, my my first reaction may not have been that positive as far as I remember, but I grew to love it. Um, Yeah. This whole album was like a huge uh, moment for me. Um, still influences me, actually. Um, just the production yeah. is so cool. Um, again, it's like not Britney's best vocal performance, but it almost like doesn't matter to me because she really I think, yep. embodies it. It just makes sense for her, and um, cool to ha- cool to see her having a another like late career uh, reinvention. I mean, not even late. At that point, she was only like I'd say thirty two or something, thirty one. Yeah, actually less yeah. than that. Yeah. Good lord. Well, I was so 2011, so I was in my I was 22. She's not that much older than me, is she? 
Oof, hang on, let's see how old. How... No, because no, because she's not thirty. She's she'd be what in her forties now. Yeah. yeah. Uh... No, no, she was twenty. No, she was twenty nine then. What? She was my age. Jesus. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay, that's cool. I'm just gonna fall into a. Um, she's thirty eight now. She'd all also had spent half her life being a famous. That is musician, true. So mm. just. She's don't, got a... be, don't beat yourself up over it. <laughs> She's got a few years on me. <laughs> yeah, don't don't beat yourself up over it. It's not like it's not like she got started at twenty nine. This is true. Um, yes. Please continue, Richard. Um, what else do I have to say? I like the um the way in the chorus they do the oh 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 and like kind of digitally edit the space between that. Um. Kesha yeah. did that the year prior, I yes. believe. Yep. I think that's all I have to say about this anyway, for now. Yeah. Samuel, what do you think of the song? I imagine it would have been popular in the club scene. Mm-hmm. Which I know you were just hitting the clubs every I was, Saturday. I was prominent in that club scene. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm speaking from experience. First-hand experience. Yep. That's no, a cool song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I like it. I like it. Yes. Emma. Cool. Thank you. I love it. Again, I I've realized like my memory is just trash these days. Like I vague like the thing I remember the most about 2011 is meeting Sam. Like mm-hmm. um I know. Um but like in terms of music, like I remember vaguely what music like what like what I was listening to back then. I do remember like enjoying this at the time, but I can't remember if it was like ironic or not. I think that was still when I was on the cusp of like f- properly just enjoying pop music for what it is. Yeah, I don't think I don't think at any point in our relationship you've ever ironically liked anything like yeah, this. Yeah, so I guess and again, this is where my memory fails me, like mm. but yeah. I do remember vibing to this, but I can't remember much else beyond that. But regardless, like... Because I, I going back to when we did first meet when we were at Sin, mm. and there was another girl who was like, oh, yeah, I want to play things like Lady Gaga and Britney Spears, and you were very much like, oh, fuck yeah. Oh, cool, okay. So you weren't like, you weren't like, ha, 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 that's funny. <laughs> it was like, no, nah, no, nah, like, awesome. Like, that's I love that as well. Cool. Okay, that's good to know. But then you were also into your emo and indie stuff as well, so. I, I'm a rich tapestry. You're complex. Yes. Indeed. Yeah. Um, but no, this song fucking rules. Like, it did then, it does now. Um, yeah. And I think just to smoothly transition us into our next point, yeah, 
I think, Richard, we've had this chat before in person, but that idea of apocalypse pop that this encapsulates, like, yeah, that's one of the many things I love about it, just that sort of nihilism almost, that really it was a product of its time. Yeah, kind of like hedonism and nihilism. So some other examples, like Katy Perry's Teenage Dream has the lyric, we can dance until we die. Um, mm-hmm. Usher's DJ got us fallen in love. Pitbulls give me everything. Um, the video also for... like Kesha's Die Young. Yeah, like... the yeah, yeah the video for um, Party Rock Anthem is literally apocalyptic. That's right. Yeah, I'd forgotten yeah. that. Jesus. So um, even when it wasn't li- literally being spelled out like until the world ends, I think that whole vibe was really around at the time. Um, yeah. Not just dancing, but like celebrating and drinking, um, like there's yep. tomorrow, um, which feels like a very like post global financial crisis thing to me. Um, like a lot of party music Definitely. was made in 07, 08, but um, it's like once people had come out the other side and people were thinking about the whole 2012 prediction of the apocalypse, you know, um, it's no surprise that people were like making pop songs about it, literally. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think, again, we'll touch on this shortly when we talk about the music video, but, like, it hadn't – well, it would have occurred to me at the time, but I'd completely forgotten that the video is set for, like, the date in the Mayan calendar that things were just meant to finish. Oh, really? I didn't didn't notice that. Um, Yeah, and I remember, like – yeah, I remember there being this very tangible sense of, like – and again, sort of in an ironic way, like, oh, well, everything's supposed to be ending. Like, what are we going to... And yeah, there was this sort of, yeah, like an ironic sense to it. But also, I do remember that being a time where people were sort of letting loose, so to speak. I don't know. Mm. It was a good time to be 21 like... for me. Anyway, Yeah, that's <laughs> like, yeah, I was 20. I... Yeah. Um, and... Wait, was I? Yeah, 20. Yeah, you, you were 21 <laughs> in 2012. Thank you. Um, and yeah, like that was when I was sort of starting to wrap up like my clubbing days because I am lame and I met you and then we stopped going to clubs. I never even began. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I do remember this time being like, yeah, drinking and going to rats and wearing ridiculous outfits and do yeah. nightclubs allow me to sit down and eat a palmer they do not they do during the day before they turn into clubs wait clubs can transform yes what else like how do you think they make their money when they're not being clubs oh i just i don't know i just thought that they were closed <laughs> during the day have you ever been to i don't know have you ever been to colonel tans in revolver no. You. So you know Revolver, like on Chapel Street, one of Reds. Melbourne's most yeah most notorious nightclubs. Um, yeah. Uh, most of the time during the early evening and afternoon, there is a very authentic Thai restaurant there. What? Inside it. Yep. Oh my god. Yeah. I have no desire to go to Revs, but I have every <laughs> desire to get some Thai food. That's awesome. It is oh. really, really good. I'll take you. Holy shit. Over. Especially since we were robbed of Thai food this week. I know. Aww. Our Uber thief. Um, but that's that's fine. I got compensated for it, so it's fine. Oh, good. But we didn't get Thai food. I know. Um, no, I'm going to add that to the list of things that we can do when we're released from this 
prison that is our apartment. I'm going to make a list. Um, pardon? Oh, I'm going to make a list. No, yes. Gosh. Amazing. Um, also, I'm obviously joking about this being a prison. I'm not Ellen DeGeneres. Um, so you've also noted here, like, yeah, that very post-GFC, like, subtext. And I noticed this the other day with, what was it? I was talking to you about it. Fuck. It was Patrick Stump's album, Soul Punk. Ah, yes. Like, it's weird now that we're sort of in another GFC-type situation, those undertones are starting to become a lot more obvious to me because I just never had the context to apply to it before. Like, so, yeah, with that in mind, like, we're still at the beginning of, like, whatever economic fallout is happening, is going to happen, whatever. Do we think we'll see another wave of, like, apocalypse pop in response to this crisis? Like, do we think there is a response already underway? And I know that better music commentators than me have already started having this conversation, like, on podcast and yeah, I'm sure plenty of other outlets. But, yeah, I think it's valid to ask, like, do we think that this is going to release another wave of that sort of hedonistic-type music? Mm, I, I really think the the mood of popular music kind of ebbs and flows. Um, yeah. I can't remember if ebb is up or down. Uh, do you know? <laughs> Let's say whack uh, in um, so like yeah. 2011 to 14 was like waxing, then 2015 onwards, it kind of started waning. Um, there was mm. a big influence of like, well, hip hop became more prominent on the charts. Um, yeah, definitely. Not just like, you know, really commercial rap, like Macklemore and stuff, but you have people like Future, um, Ray Shremard, uh, Designer with Panda, Cardi B mm-hmm. with like yep. some kind of more muted music, like um it was almost like from 2015 on it was there was music like oh the world's already ended or whatever we're living in the future what does this all mean um yeah so might as well just sip lean or whatever so um, yeah okay kind of is a little bit still around i guess it's kind of that nihilism has worn itself out um that's true yeah like also somewhat Ex- somewhat kind of was around in response to like obviously Trump being elected although, although like yep. Trump has not been very mm-hmm. political since then it's like you also get the that opposite is- response with someone like Lizzo who is like extremely positive in kind of direct response to the state of the world yeah that's a good point yeah but I- it's yeah it's it's hard to say what's going to come of this like I don't know what the first post-COVID album is going to be and especially yeah. you know, uh, people have said a lot about like Dua Lipa's future nostalgia that it feels like accidentally perfect for this moment because people do want a kind of escapist music but yeah it's finished months ago so it's like I think it's impossible to predict but hopefully we have a better sense of like community coming out of it at the very least right that's yeah because like spitballing this idea I was thinking like we could see just a different wave of something entirely within music. Like at the moment, everyone is already jumping on the bandwagon of doing something to do with like green screen backgrounds and recording on your webcam. Like Phoebe Bridges has just released a music video for Kyoto. Um, And then you've also got like Blink-182. Hayley Williams. 
yeah, Haley Williams is doing a lot of stuff from home. Mm. Um, you've got Ben Gibbard from Death Cab doing like a daily performance, like a lot of musicians. And I, yeah, I guess it's kind of hard to determine. It's probably ones who can afford to not be doing anything who also have the leisure time to do this. But uh-huh. yeah, I think a lot they of it. Are- I think a lot of it is awesome, but also there's like a lot of space being taken up and like a lot of competition for attention even now. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to draw any direct conclusions for me. Yeah. Like it's, I can see it all being valid as a response to like, well, shit, like there goes my touring schedule for the year. Like, what am I going to do? But yeah, I don't know. I wonder if this will sort of, result in another wave of that sort of like homegrown type music. I don't know. Mm. Um, yeah. Have, have we mentioned the video yet? We have not. Would you like to mention the video for us? She looks bored as fuck for like the first half of this film. <laughs> yeah, mm. she does. So it does go through that sort of like, it's kind of an apocalyptic nightclub. Kind of makes me think of uh, the, the kind of- for you video. No, the the yeah, kind of, but also the 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 club that Christine Aguilera is in in the dirty film clip. Oh, yeah, the sort of like boxing oh. nightclub kind yeah, of throwing elbows underground thing. Um, that was fucking iconic. Those chaps, Jesus yeah. Christ, we're doing yeah. that at Was karaoke. that another awakening for you? I yes. don't know. If, I don't know if I. Yeah, but not so much with Christine Aguilera because, and especially at that point, she kind of had like the the really kind of dirty hair. Yeah, as unwashed. Well. <laughs> um, I say of... as I rake my fingers through my unwashed hair. But, like, she kind of had dreadlocks going. Yeah. That sort oh, of thing. True, yeah. It was like, yeah, it's a little bit, yeah, I don't know. Mm, it was a time. It was. Um, <laughs> what a time. But, yeah, so it definitely has that kind of apocalyptic, well, you know, Hollywood apocalyptic yeah, <laughs> Michael Bay apocalyptic. Yeah, everyone's still beautiful. Yes, the, uh, gorgeous, toned, tanned. In, in the apocalypse. But yeah, she just looks so bored for, for the first half of this film clip. And when they're doing the wah, 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 uh, 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 that does not translate. Like, she does not make that translate to the film clip because it's just her doing, like, open mouth, like... Yeah. Like, moving her head around. And she just kind of looks like a blow-up doll. <laughs> but then... When she gets into the red outfit, she does, it might be like the next day. Like that's when she started, like they did it over two days. First day she was like, fuck, I can't do this. Like I can't, I can't bear to be here. And then the second day was like, actually, this is a little bit better. She has, she looks like she's having a bit more fun with it. Mm. Um, I'm just going to throw in a few bits of info um, and then I'll throw to you, Richard, to ask you what you think. I'll throw back to you, Sam, to ask what you think. Oh, I've told you what I think. (laughs) That's it, Sam's hanging up his headphones. He's out. He's left the studio. We don't use headphones. I know. I'm trying to paint a picture here. We should, but we don't. Why should we? So we can hear how well, like, the volumes and everything. Nah, man, that's half the fun. I would be able to to know if if my breath is being, like, translated onto this so that I don't need to freaking hold my breath. <laughs> nearly passed oh, I out can, every episode. I can gate that if you want. Oh hell yeah! Done. Yeah. There you go. Cool. Don't need headphones. Problem solved. All right. 
So the video was directed by Ray Kay. What a fucking great name. Um, and he has worked with the likes of Destiny's Child, Lady Gaga, LMFAO, Willow Smith, Cher, and Tayo Cruz. Um, Richard has also noted here that there was also a different edit that was more of just a pure dance video. Yeah. Um, um, that was a direct response, I believe, to... Um, so when the original video came out, uh, the fans were expecting a lot from like the clip. Oh, and okay. And so they kind of got that, but a bit half-hearted. So they were all saying, you know, oh, this is kind of trying to be a serve, but it's not really a serve. And so, yeah, they actually re-edited it to make it a bit more, um, a bit, a little bit more physically impressive, which I think it is. Yeah. Um, also, just to note, Ray K has directed commercials for the likes of Pepsi, AT&T, and KFC. Nice. Um, but, yeah, again, just on my end, like, looking at his videography, and I didn't fully research by watching all of them, but the ones I recognize, like, I can definitely sense, like, a cohesive style or, like, a vibe to them. But then I feel like a lot of the videos are, like, the less memorable videos of the, like, the artist's respective careers, if that makes sense. Yeah. He's, I don't know. He's definitely, like, kind of a pure commercial video director. Um, yeah. I want to say his best ones are, like, uh, Poker Face and maybe Whip yep. My Hair. I was about to say, Whip My Hair fucking rules. That's a great video. Do you remember that video for Willow? I remember Whip the song. Hair, I don't but... remember the video, though. It's, it's I don't think great. I've seen the video. We will watch it after this. Okay. It hey. is a straight-up banger. Uh, speaking of the dance sequences, so the choreography was done by Brian Friedman, who also choreographed Hold It Against Me for Femme Fatale. And he had previously worked with Britney on Toxic, Me Against the Music, Boys, and I'm a Slave for You, as well as working on her Dream Within a Dream and Onyx Hotel tours, which just, side note, I don't think I've ever really paid much attention to the name of her tours before, unless it was like, I don't know, the In the Zone tour or whatever the fuck it was. But like, those are such cool names. Yeah. Yes, that's my are. yeah i wish they were like i'm just so used to sorry you guys oh, sorry i wish there were like full recording like proper recordings of them yeah and, uh no there is there is one hbo special from 2003 that i talk about a lot because it's like one of the craziest like pop concerts i've ever seen uh, oh my god uh I, would, it was, I think it was directed by wade robson who was like 19 at the time um sick and it it really shows it's very like all over the shop there's a funk metal version of oops i did again that goes directly oh into, my god directly into i think i think every time with like a very like daddy daughter theme and then Shit. i think she does i'm not a girl not yet a woman to like a montage of u.s servicemen in iraq Oh my it's, god! It, it's wild. It's like the room of um. <laughs> do you have <laughs> this on? Can uh, we like do a Zoom party of this? That is awesome. Yeah, that sounds fun actually. <laughs> oh my god! I'm just going to interject and say Wade Robson is one of two Michael Jackson accusers. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we know. Yeah. He was. He was one of the focal points of that <sighs> leaving Neverland. Ne- Neverland. So bleak. Documentary series. Yeah. yeah. Nothing but respect for him. Um, oh, absolutely. Oh, God, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
And other music credits to Brian Friedman's name include My Lovers Like Woe by Maya, The One by Prince, and InSync's Pop alongside Wade Robson. Which I so, bring up specifically to mention that um, uh, that was like a crazy complicated shoot. Apparently like one of the highest budget videos of all time. Because um, that's the... um Shit. I know it off the top of my head. It's the one that's um, like super... It's super heavily edited and has a lot of like perspective shifts between them. But um Yes, like, yes, yes, first, yes. On the first day of shooting, um Joey Fatone of NSYNC like uh sprained his ankle or something. And so that just, oh, no. yeah, oh, buddy. Wade Robson to fill in for like about half of the video. And oh my god! He's a man who looks nothing like Joey Fatone, so no. just look close. Wow. Let's be honest yeah. though, and he's probably a far better dancer than Joey Fatone as well. <laughs> Joey's a pretty good dancer, actually. He's Poor great. Joey, he's, he's doing his best. Yeah, um, but oh. yeah, it, it's it's really funny. And um, what was I going to say? Like Wade was kind of like the sixth member of NSYNC almost like he did a lot of choreography ah. um until you know the whole thing with Britney happened and you know that yep. inspired Crimea River and you know we weren't oh, my God. very contentious but yeah yeah I do want to revisit that video because it's just so that's probably like one of the most blatant like references to a failed and public relationship like because mm. there's a woman in the video I think who looks just like Britney yeah, it's very if I petty. recall correctly. It's just, yeah, so, so good. What a time. Um, the last little bit I wanted to bring up was that there is a Twister remix <laughs> off Till the World Ends, and it's literally just like a promo for like a Twister game where... Oh, so it looks like Hasbro Twister. <laughs> yeah, but like Twister Dance or something. So like I think the idea was you had like a boombox type device with songs i'm guessing queued up in it already i don't know and then there's like discs like the twister dots that you put on the ground and you had to like i don't know i think it was sort of like a from what i gathered from the video it seemed like a mishmash of like ddr and then just twister like i'm actually looking at the box and it says um it has dances pre-programmed um including till the world ends and whip my hair and oh. you can connect an MP3 player and apparently dance to your own music. So, oh yeah. my goodness! Let's be honest. Twister was made for one reason and one reason only, so awkward people can touch each other. Yeah, but can can be close and and perform uncomfortable positions on each other. Well, you're not you're not saying it's a, a form of exercise, Sam? Uh, <laughs> no, no, not even a form of yoga. Hmm. Just you know, not just like a. A form of competitive stretching between bros. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... I would love to see, like, a yoga class that was literally just based on... Twister. Well, just if you put your hand here and reach your other hand up, like, that would be great. Just like you know a pyramid twister. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to make a bold statement. So they did, and especially this time, in this time frame, like, the 20 like 2009 to like 2011 to 12 they were doing ridiculous movies based off of board games and shit oh, like yeah. battleship i can't remember if they had any more but i feel like there was more well there was like a ouija board movie produced by the wwe by the way oh, i remember that 
No, that wasn't produced by W. No, I'm thinking of the the Mirror movie Oculus. with Karen Gillan. Yes, Oculus. Which people actually um, like. But there was a Ouija board movie. There should be a Twister movie. Ooh. That would just be a porno, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean... I mean, there is a Twister it's movie, but it's from 1996 and it's about a tornado. With Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Family fun for everyone. <laughs> Indeed. So, what other thoughts do we have on the video that we haven't already? There's a bit where there's moments where it looks like she's dancing in front of a wall of gold records, which I, I quite like. That's sick. Mm. Yeah. That's a flex. Yeah. I think I do like the way that it is reminiscent of Slave for You, just that whole thing of like, quote, like dirty, sort of apocalyptic, sort of dangerous like club scene kind of thing i like that i like that tie back to her previous iteration of being britney maybe that world hasn't gotten better maybe it's yeah yeah maybe Maybe we're still living in it yeah true Maybe, but yeah i think i fully agree like her face isn't selling it like and like i don't mean this in an awful like derogatory sense but like i've never seen her look older than in that video it's just she just looks particularly like worn out Mm, i see that um so yeah it definitely takes away from like the i guess the performance of the whole thing um yeah and um, i don't know she did have better performances in videos around that time Um, yeah Like, Hold It Against Me, that video was kind of constructed around her not having to move. It has a bit more of a concept to it. Yeah. Although, I don't know if you remember this, but before that song was released, um, they were doing, like, trailers for trailers for clips. There was, like, a a countdown of, like, um, they would release, like, these 10-second teasers to the video. Oh. Which kind of took that whole thing to, like, its you know absolute end point after that people stopped doing that <laughs> got really stupid yeah um yep. but like she looks pretty lively in the i want to go video and i think in criminal so but she's had yeah. a lot of very like way more contentious videos than this since so yeah yeah i i don't know i'm definitely biased but i just i missed the videos where it was very sort of theatrical if that makes sense like the ones where there was that sort of like the Joseph Kahn era, I guess, of videos because he did Toxic, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, yeah, he did Toxic and Stronger. He did. Yeah, in 2013, which was very contentious because basically he did a treatment for like where like Britney was an assassin or something, and it was kind yeah. of this like exploitation thriller thing, but it got recut by the by the label into something that was like completely nuded. Ah. Oh. Okay. Yeah, and so that's happened more yeah. than once to her, actually. God. But yeah, I don't know. I It would be cool to see a return to that Britney, like that very sort of mm. campy, like over-the-top sort of iteration. But I don't know. As long as she's happy, that's all I care about, really. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, fighting the power, just advocating for... Redistribution of wealth. Yep. Yep. I got distracted and started thinking about a double feature I'd want to do. Mm. 
which is Crossroads and Crossroads. <laughs> so Crossroads, the night, the 2000 film with Britney Spears. I think 2000. 2000. Oh, no, 2002, two, I think. Oh, two, yeah. Because I was in high school. Oh, my goodness. So that and the other movie, Crossroads, with Ralph Macchio, he's like, wants to become a, I've never seen it, but I've just seen a scene from it. He's like, wants to become like the best blues guitarist in the world or something. Sells his soul to the devil, but the devil is Steve Vai. And they have a, uh, <laughs> they have a guitar duel. That sounds end. so good. Yeah. We have to do that. Yeah. Um, have All right, have either gonna... of you seen Crossroads? The Britney one? No. no. That, uh, you, it's kind of this wannabe teen melodrama that has like a kind of a decent, idea behind it um it was written by shonda rhimes who did like scandal and of course yep um yep i mean i won't give you my full review but it is not a good movie i'll just say that i feel like like, yeah it was like a script that um that got shoehorned into a britney spears movie and like a lot of it is laughable but it's like very earnest i guess right i feel like even at the time when it came out i could kind of sense that it was a teen movie that didn't really have legs if that makes Mm. sense like even back then, I wasn't dying to see it. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, that's and it had because it has Zoe Saldana and um, Taryn Manning. Taryn Manning in it as well. Of course, Taryn Manning was from Boomcat, wasn't she? Yeah. Taryn Manning's the super religious one from Orange Is the New yeah. Black that tries to stab Pepper or Piper or whatever in uh, in at the end of the first season. Can we yeah. all remember? Can we all just take a moment to remember how good? The Reckoning by Boomcat was. Do you remember that song? <laughs> no. Fuck. Okay, That's very I'm, 2003. Yeah, that era of music, just it's a very specific time that takes me back to when I was first like fully getting in touch with my feelings as a person. Same. And like realizing myself as just beyond a flesh bag. Like, but yeah, what a time. A reckoning indeed. Exactly. A reckoning, if you will. W-R-E-C-K-O-N-I-N-G. But listen to this uh, synopsis for 1986's Crossroads. Yeah. Ralph Macchio. Hang on, I'll do my best. Uh, in a world. Yes, yes, yes. Ralph Macchio is Lightning Boy, a kid who can make a gut- a kid who can make a slide guitar sing. Blind Dog is an old pro who knows it. Together, they're headed to a place where deals are made and legends are born. That sounds sick. <laughs> like I would watch that over the other crossroads. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably better. Same. Yeah, I mean it's got a better it's got a better rating on IMDb, but that's I mean oh, that's no. <laughs> that you know that just means that more fans like it, I guess. Yeah. So. I just got to read um, one of the top reviews on Letterboxd for 1986 Crossroads. I'm yes. not a Karate Kid, not yet a bluesman. Oh my <laughs> god! Did you write that by any chance? No, it was Austin Shermer. Oh my goodness. 
That is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. Props to you, Austin Schumer. Far out. I reckon this is a good point for us to pivot and talk about the cover. Yeah. So, Sam, Richard, do either of you want to take the stats about this song? I can take this. All right. Excellent. So, this is Till the World Ends by the band Icy Stars. It was released in Mm -hmm. November 2011 on Punk Goes Pop Volume 4, which is like a compilation that is really like full of hits. Like every song on that. Yeah. Um, At least the original. One thing. And just to jump in, like, one thing I love is, like, how quick of a turnaround this era of Punk Goes was. Yeah, like, they were on it. Yeah, because yeah. the reason I noted the months, like, I forgot to mention at the top of this episode, but, yeah, the original was released in March 2011, and then by November these guys had already turned around. Like, had they, because I've not really looked too much into the track listing had they sort of stopped doing the other generations of pop songs by this point were they just doing what was popular at the time oh i'm not sure i think in terms of pop the later ones definitely are a lot more just contemporary and that's where they do like the punk goes 90s and 80s and that's yeah and that's where, where they can in. do the throwbacks yeah yeah but uh please continue richard yes so Icy Stars are defined by Wikipedia's electronicor, which I do not consider a real genre. However, Same. Um, defined as a fusion genre of metalcore with elements of various electronic music genres, often including trance, electronica, and dubstep. Also known as synthcore mm-hmm. or transcore, which I think are probably better or more used labels. But other examples yeah. include Attack Attack, the one with one exclamation mark, not two. Yes. Into Shikari and Woe is me. So With the unnecessary comma. <laughs> yes. Good lord. So Icy Stars were formed in 2006 based in Warren, Michigan. The current lineup is lead singer Devin Oliver, guitarist Brent Allen, keyboardist and co-vocalist Andrew Oliver, and bass guitarist Jeff Valentine. They've been signed to Sumer- uh, Sumerian Records from day one, which is an interesting one because a lot of... um. A lot of like tech death and metalcore on that label. Yeah. Um, but yeah. other label mates like Asking Alexandria, Between the Buried and Me, great band, From First to Last, mm-hmm. pa- Palace Royale, Poppy, who is awesome, and Sleeping with Sirens. Um, yeah. That's a very strange. I'm going to interject. I'm going to interject really quickly and just say I. I never believed that any band shouldn't be on a certain record label when you consider that the Goo Goo Dolls were once signed to Metal Blade Records. <laughs> wow. I did not know that. The Goo Goo Dolls were once signed to Metal Blade Records. That rule. Were they continue. ever a metal band? No. At any point? I mean, they rock as much ass as a metal band would. But... <laughs> I mean, 
I mean, I don't know. I, I, do you know anything other than Iris? Because, slide. Do you know anything other than Iris and Slide? No. no. They might look. They may. <laughs> I don't know if they do, but they may have early, early, early beginnings as like a funk metal band or something. But yeah, yeah. it makes me think of how um, uh, Sugar Ray were a funk metal band until every morning. Yeah. Anyway, oh, classic. Um, their Wikipedia article has a very strange throwaway line. Um, on June 16, 2015, the band's Facebook page was hacked and used to promote Islamist propaganda. That is wild. Like, when I was researching this and I was just sort of skimming, I'm like, okay, so it just seems like a lot of lineup changes, a lot of just details of, like, they've toured with these people in these years on these tours, and then out of nowhere, it's just like, oh, okay, and then Islamist propaganda, as you do. So yeah, because I, I looked into it a little bit further. It's because their sort of acronym is ISS. Mm. It's kind of like ISIS. Huh. Yeah, there so. was a theory that it was. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah, imagine that. Imagine waking up and just opening up your Facebook for the day and just being like, ah, oh, fuck. But yeah, that wouldn't have been great. No. Oh, so shall we go um, through this whole Runny Radkey section? Real quick, the Goo Goo Dolls' third release incorporated elements of heavy metal, pop rock, and punk rock. Hell yeah. In 1991, the song I'm Awake Now was recorded for the soundtrack of Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Sick. So, okay, maybe it's not that shocking that they were maybe signed to Metal Blade at some point. I want to hear that. That sounds good. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm thinking in terms of this next part, Richard, if you want to give the background, but I'm thinking Sam should do some dramatic readings of each of the statements. I should have studied Ronnie Radke's voice. No, really don't need to. What do you reckon? Yeah, I, re- I reckon um, maybe he can do Ronnie Radke and I'll do Icy Stars. How about that? Cool. That sounds good. Cool. Are you happy with that? Yeah. And which which one of us will also play Paige? Uh, lol. Who's Paige? Paige is Ronnie Radke's current girlfriend. Oh. She is a, or she was a professional wrestler who had to retire too young. Okay. Yeah, she's cool. He is not. Anyway. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So in 2012, uh, Icy Stars found themselves in a beef with Ronnie Radke, the singer of Falling in Reverse and formerly Escape the Fate. Um, so that year mm. they were arrested in Saline County. That's a terrible name. Kansas. I know. I love it. And intending to use hallucinogenic drugs. The members themselves released their mugshots and Devin commented on his Twitter profile that he just had the worst 13 hours of his life. Uh, <laughs> Ronnie Radke booted them from his The Thug and Me His You <coughs> tour lineup after the band so got gross. arrested for possession again later that year. So, Sam, would you like to play Ronnie Radke? I just want to say as well, I feel as though it's like Ronnie Radke left or was booted out of Escape the Fate and Escape yeah. the Fate were never as popular ever again. No. So he's eh. like one of those dirtbag frontmen who like kind of he really has is. charm, I guess, or like a charisma. Yeah. But just like in the wrong way. He was sort of like the um like oh fuck, I can't think of an equivalent, but like he was that sort of bad boy persona for this scene. Like, I definitely remember there being girls 
at the time mm. that he was in prison being like obsessed with him and wanting to like write him letters in prison it's just like what the fuck like i want to say so i guess oh sorry i want to say he's like the sid vicious of the scene or something but sid vicious yeah is on at least one classic record in my opinion yeah i don't know that's exactly it so on that note, do you want to play Ronnie Rudkey, Sam? If you have been following my story, you know I am very serious about my sobriety and have been sober for four plus years now. I decided to remove them from the tour at that time as I did not want drug users in my environment. After we informed them they would no longer be on the tour for that reason, their label approached us and assured us the band would not use drugs and they would be professional on my tour. We came to an agreement and I gave them their second chance. Throughout this entire tour, they have been unprofessional. They have rarely showed up on time and have caused undue difficulty on my crew plus employees of the various venues. It's been next to impossible to keep the show running on time. I feel at this point we have no choice but to continue on without them. Yikes. I'm going to read the Icy Stars bit as a wrestling promo. So, Ronnie Radke, all the shows (laughs) on the tour were already on sale with your name being advertised. So we didn't think it was fair to the fans or to ourselves to not be able to go play where people were still expecting us. We offered you, Ronnie Radke, to play the shows for free as long as we could still keep our commitment to the fans because Sumerian Records was willing to give us a serious amount of financial tour support. We were still able to hit the road without getting paid. However, we would quickly find out that us agreeing to Ronnie's ridiculous terms of silence and playing for free was simply not good enough for you, uh, Jabroni. (laughs) 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 He was... That ass clown resulted to threatening violence against Zach in Grand Rapids because he didn't like his stupid effing face. And then the next night in our hometown of Detroit kicked us off the tour. His 47-year-old tour manager... That washed up ass clown then physically assaulted our tour manager and FIR camp once again resulted to violent behavior. I thought that you said that they were from Massachusetts. Uh, I did. Hang on. Michigan. Oh, Michigan. No, okay. No, no, I mean, Michigan. Warren, yeah. Detroit, yeah. Yeah. Can I play Sumerian Records? Oh, Please. I was going to do Sumerian Records. No, you got the last one. Uh, I'll do no. I'll do Radke. I'm gonna do. But I'm gonna do Radke as the cleaner Kenny Omega. So <laughs> okay, you go. All right. Because so I'm having I, too much fun with this. So I'm gonna be like the boring dad in this. So hang on. Excuse me. <clears throat> so Sumerian Records also responded accordingly. There is nothing cool, rock and roll punk rock or admirable about treating your peers or fans like they're pieces of garbage ronnie radke is not a good human being it's one thing to love someone's music but do not love someone as an individual for who they are not out of respect for the industry professionals involved in this debacle we will not be publicly disclosing any legal documents on the internet we can confirm that ronnie kicked the band off the tour but allowed them back on after they forfeited their pay we can confirm that they were being forced to sign a non-disclosure agreement regarding this in order to stay on the tour. We can confirm that IC stars were not kicked off because of anything to do with drugs. It was because a grown man was throwing a temper tantrum who claims to be rock and roll, but is actually worse than a neurotic pop pop star diva with a God complex. Just because you no longer do drugs doesn't mean you are no longer a horrible human being. Ronnie now abuses people instead of substances. 
So then the follow-up statement from Ronnie Radke, and I'm going to try and do the cleaner Kenny Omega. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, lend me your ears. Why do we immediately assume that we read on the internet is the whole truth? Does it not make us guilty in ourselves to assume and accuse another for what you read? You old fart. Did it ever occur to anyone that maybe some people make things up to get attention drawn to them for a moment of spotlight or fame? Maybe the person you are accusing and bashing hateful things towards and putting so much time and effort into something that you have no idea about, much less should even care about is false. Should it be wrong of you to tell that person how terrible they are? For what? A moment of recognition by the one you hate so much. Before I ever assume something about someone, I make sure I meet that person before I hate them. We all should be ashamed of ourselves. We are filthy creatures. That was so like, spot on in tone and cadence, by the way. So, applause. Yes. yes so, yes. like, in researching these guys today, and, like, I don't want to cast aspersions. I think that's the, I don't know. But, like... I just, I can't stand any of these people involved. Like, and again, it just sort of adds fuel to like my overall general sentiment that like the like hyphen core community, they just get so fucking bogged down in like the idea of like loyalty and like Mm. that they just can't ever settle an argument and just be done with it. Like, it's always like, yeah. Like, this whole thing sort of, so it was started to do with, like, being arrested for drugs, which that sucks. But then, like, instead of just taking it on the chin and moving on, they then decided to pin it on who Ronnie is as a person. Which I agree, he sucks. But at the same time, if he's four plus years sober and doesn't want to be close to that, then he's within his rights to say, fuck you. Like, they might have had a... They might have had an agreement beforehand, like, hey, we don't do drugs and alcohol on the tour, mm. which, or you don't, you just don't do it around me or something like, I don't know. You don't know what, what happened. Just sucks because um, both parties are always trying to be like, oh, we're taking the high road. You're the horrible person. Which kind yes. Of, yeah. You know. And that's like, it just always ends up being like this, is it Ouroboros? Like just, yeah. yeah. it's just always like this endless circle of like, no, fuck you. No, fuck you. Like. And I see it playing out in, like, little Melbourne scenes around here. I'm just like, it's just, just calm down. Like, step back. Like, truly no, like, we, yeah, we, we care in the sense that it makes for good drama. Like, it makes for good, like, WWE readings on a Mm -hmm. podcast. But, like, just calm down. I don't know. And then, uh, uh, yeah. And then again, it's a very gendered thing because, like, if this were, like, well, yeah, you see it with, like, I don't know, even, like, the Taylor Kim mm. beefs and stuff like that. And everyone's just like, oh, they just need to, like, blah, blah, blah. And, like, they're always picking a party and, like, running them into the ground. But there's this real sense of, like, toxic, and I'm, fuck it, I'm saying it, like, toxic masculinity. Where it's just, like, you guys can have all these little infights and that's just part of, like, part and parcel of what you do. And then people will still, like, back them and continue to back them. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of makes me think of the the kind of, like, gang war, like, I do in huge quotation marks between the Acacia Strain and Amua. Yeah. Like, two metalcore bands. Oh, yeah. Mm. And I, as an adult, I kind of 
look at it at basically these two bands just wanted to be hip hop artists. They just wanted to basically be Tupac and Biggie. Yeah. And like, you can even look at the way that they dressed and acted and stuff like that. Like they just kind of wanted to be rappers. They wanted to have that whole thug kind of as- like aesthetic. And I see it with a lot of these bands, like with yeah. a lot of these hardcore metalcore bands, it's like, they just want to have that kind of that thug persona. And it's like having these, these beaks, but it's like, in the end, it's just people throwing words at each other. It's not cool. It's yeah. Not... Like, Amur in, particu- in particular make uh, Limp Bizkit sound like Led Zeppelin, you know? Yeah. <laughs> not a good um, but... He has just recently come out and said, I hate ev- every lyric that I've ever written. Wow. Oh, wow. Has yeah. he become call. like a born-again Christian or something? I don't think it's that. I think he's just grown up. <laughs> wow. Yikes. Um... I do want to say that metal fans in particular like have such a superiority complex about like celebrity yeah. culture, but you know the same yeah. dynamics replicate themselves within metal. Like, what is blabbermouth.net except you know TMZ for metalheads? Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. slightly more reputable, but still, like it's a celebrity can't even dare to wear a heavy metal shirt without the metal community. Oh, name at least three of their songs. Shitting, shitting on it. Like the most recent one I saw was. The Rock was live tweeting or live streaming Facebook live yeah. um, on the set of Jumanji and Kevin Hart was wearing an Exodus shirt and there was, <laughs> and it came like, like on the Rock's Facebook page, nobody gave a shit. Like nobody knew who Exodus were, yeah. but then I think it was somewhere like Blabbermouth reported it. And then the comment section of course was just like, oh, he doesn't know Exodus. He's just likes the shirt. So what if he fucking does? Well, that's yeah, the thing. Cool it's like it's free advertising for the band. Yeah. Like, if I were to walk into like a fucking, well, I guess off your tree or like one of those dodgy like stalls at Queen Vic Markets, and if I saw like a metal shirt and I was like, "That's sick," like, I guess the one risk would be like, they could be probo the same way anyone could be probo. Mm-hmm. But like, mm. I don't know if they're not, and if I'm wearing this shirt, like, sick. That's another piece of mer- like branding out in the world for people to look at i just hate that idea that you have to know you have to know five songs of theirs before you can wear their shit like, yeah fuck off. yeah fuck off at the same time like, i listen i listen to every band that i listen to on spotify and if i really like it that i'll listen to it over and over and over again i'm like yeah i'll get a shirt of theirs yeah totally doesn't mean i know their stuff like their song titles mm. on the other hand before self iso i definitely walked past a white guy on the street wearing an unironic Burzum shirt and I was just like hmm I'm not gonna <laughs> interrogate this too hard right now what was the shirt um I want to say philosopher or ask like maybe the one with the church burned on it I, I did own an ironic oh, oh Burzum yeah Burzum I could I could didn't quite make out the Burzum part of it ah yes it <laughs> I did. Um, I did own. Um, I think yes, it was Asker. Yeah, with the, with the Burning Church. Yeah, yeah, I did own an, a legitimately ironic Burzum shirt, which was made by some random company. Um, it was like the Burzum logo, but the B was uh, the like Disney font B, and then <laughs> it had just like a black and white um image of like uh, Bambi in the forest. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I one of the many reasons why I love the Black Dahlia murder, one of the times that I saw them at Soundwave and the uh, one one of the original members 
um, and guitarist Brian um, was wearing a Persim shirt. Oh, and it's and it, and it had like yeah, like the forest, but then it had like a cat with Aww. with corpse paint. <laughs> <That's adorable. laughs> oh man, I I love a good piece of like ironic merch. Like, and then the next time I saw them, he was wearing a shirt that says "Control Your Kids." Ah, <laughs> oh, love a good novelty shirt like that. Goodness me, but yeah, basically like. In conclusion, everyone in the whatever core community just needs to like practice mindfulness or something. Yes. Like just step back. Like, yeah, just you will live to see another day beyond whatever little beef you're having. And as the wise prophets in 303 said, if you've got beef, I'm a vegetarian and, and I ain't fucking scared of you. <laughs> I was going to quote cool. Taylor Swift and say, you need to calm down. Exactly. You're being too loud. Yeah. Have <sighs> we actually said what we think about the song, though? We have not. <laughs> so. I think it's fine. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add? I Look, I don't think it's, I think like the breakdowny parts kind of go all right with it mm-hmm. um it's again just another one of those yeah metalcore versions of a pop song that we've done mm. there's nothing special about it yeah you know like the last the last one we did the sarah Bareilles one that was a dope cover that was yeah. a really fantastic cover and this one it's just eh, yeah all right there's there's the breakdown and there's the scream um the guy who does the the growly scream is very clearly doing his best. Um, Mitch Mitch Lucker from um, Lurker, Lucker from uh, Lurker. Suicide Silence, mm. or Ollie Sykes from Bring Me the Horizon. Back when right. they used to do deathcore stuff, yeah, um, doing his very best appropriation of that. But mm. yeah, look, it's does what it does. Yeah, yeah, which is just. Which is not impressing me. Much. Much. To throw over to you, I was about to say Shania. <laughs> Richard. Hey now, um, I want to say that this cover is like kind of competent, but also like super overproduced and overmixed. Um, there's mm. just like so much shit going on. Because um, they start, uh, they start with something that sounds like the original, but you know, keep deviating. There's yeah. like so much shit going on. Like, it actually sounds like four different singers as well. Um, it kind of, to me, it's like the audio representation of, like, those shirts that were big in, like, the 2010s. Like, the Asking Alexandria type. Yeah, like, the, the blue shirts with, like, the huge colours and everything. Yeah, like. it's just yeah. sort of, like, it's the audio equivalent of that. Just that way too much happening all at once. Yeah, it reminds me of so. the Katy Perry cover we talked about as well. Um, yeah, it's a, I like enjoyed that much. I I like that one much more. That one, at least, felt like it knew where it was going to start and end. This one sounds like it was like yeah. improvised the whole way through. Yeah, um, definitely. And like, I actually get why they would want to cover this song, but I'm not sure why anyone would really want to choose to listen to this version. You know? Yeah, because especially if they're doing that whole electronic thing, and this is a very like the original is a very you know. As I said, like I imagine it would have been very popular in the clubs. Mm. 
at the time. Like it has that very electronic sound to it. Mm. Um, you know, it would have would have been yeah a popular choice for them, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just thinking of other electronic core or synth core bands that could have possibly done better. And I'm thinking like the two that always comes to my mind when I think of this genre of music is cross faith from Japan and the Browning from another American band. And they just had that better electronic metalcore sound to them. They didn't like, it was all just growling. Yeah. Um, I don't think they did any clean singing, but yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like they could have potentially done something a bit different with it. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was a bit more cohesive. Yeah. yeah. Are you there, Richard? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, I think, like, for me, in terms of, like, to answer your question, like, not sure why anyone would choose to listen to this version, Richard, like, I can see it just, again, being that sort of aligning yourself with the scene type Mm. exercise like oh fuck yeah they covered this song how funny or how sick whatever but i can't see it being for like any sort of critical purpose if that makes sense i don't know like to me like i mostly don't like it's fine i don't mind the cover but then i get that yeah like you said they just sort of dial it all the way up when if they'd stripped off a few of the elements of it it would be very competent yeah it'd be listenable at least yeah like that breakdown towards the end i'm just kind of like but why like yeah. they're sort of just shoot shoehorned in a breakdown that isn't there because it's paint by numbers like metalcore like they have to do that they have to have that it wouldn't be a metalcore song without it you know and that's yeah like in that sense it does become formulaic as opposed to masterful like mm. Yeah. Do either I don't know. Like I'm thinking of uh, like another metalcore band, like a, a more competent, a better, a much better metalcore band, band like Unearth, mm. who would you know they put breakdowns in a lot of their songs, but their breakdowns kind of all sound different. Yeah. Yeah. As well, I don't know. And this is just that very standard. Yeah. Yeah. It's just pretty much like its sole purpose, and I don't know if they ever played this on tour, but it's the sole purpose of. Getting the dudes doing the spin kicks in the pit. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, do either of you remember the Melbourne kind of synthcore band House versus Hurricane? Yes. I remember them by name, but I never listened to them. Yeah, I, I thought they them. did that whole sound pretty well. Like it was like a classier version, so not the kind of trashy aspects, but almost like uh that mixed with a bit of like thrice or like art rock. It was kind of cool for the time. Yeah. Nice. I believe I've seen them. Huh. Yeah, I I saw them um, supporting Horsell Common, if you remember them. Oh, in, I think, God, I remember that name. Jesus. Yeah, I think in 2006, and they run a different name, and like they were giving out the demo city, which I still have. So, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah. 14 years ago, the years start coming. Oh my God, <laughs> it's yeah. And then, like, we're sort of simultaneously, like, coasting through this year, but also just standing still. Mm. We're a quarter of the way through it. Already. Yeah. Before we spiral too further into that panic spiral, so we decided, I think we all pretty much decided, like, we're not going to talk about any other covers because they're mostly uninspiring. Mm. 
And also, I feel like we have put forth a very hefty episode already. I do have a question, though, that I'm going to throw on the spot. Go for it. So, in the Sun episode, yep. at the end, how I put together a pretty dope Tony Hawk Pro yes. Skater playlist. Hey. Yes. Do either of you two have any additions to that? Hmm. Emma, did you come up with anything? Um, I I have literally just asked this for the first time now. I didn't I didn't even um, float this with Emma beforehand. So the only song I can think of that I'd like to add to yours, and I just need to look up the track listing real quick. Uh, is yeah, I'm loving it. I'm think I think it's Liberation Frequency by the Shape by Refuse. Yeah, that's a sick song. The, okay. We want the airwaves back. back, but like because they've had the they've had new noise on there. Oh, so what a tune! So you can't have that already. You can't yeah, have that on. There. I can so, picture liberation frequency being yep. a cool song to have on a tr- like a Tony Hawk comp. Yep, that's that literally it. all I could think of. I was like raking, raking, racking my brains in the shower where I do my best work the other day, and I couldn't think of anything else. Nice. So. What about you, Richard? I'm going to randomly go through my last FM and uh, say some Ooh, things that yeah. come to mind. Um, <laughs> uh, Amazing. So, and the Mirror Cracked by the German prog metal band Disillusion from their 2004 magnum opus Back to Times of Splendor. Um, uh-huh. Some chunky riffs, eight minutes, got a kind of funky piano breakdown, but they kind of sound like Opeth if they were a melodic death band. Interestingly. Nice. Shit. Um, in Flames, Embodied the Invisible. Always wanted to okay. skate to that song. Um, can you skate just out of interest? No. <laughs> I can, me neither. I can barely rollerblade and I still have rollerblades sitting in my cupboard. Anyway. I would probably do Pinball Map by In Flames. Sick, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, I want to say uh, Blood and Thunder by Mastodon. Yep. Nice. A lot of drum feels in that. Um, I first heard that in a Need for Speed game, so cool. <laughs> from 2006. And last but not least, I'm going to say "Cool for the Summer" by Demi Lovato. Oh, yes, that would be so good. You know the song? No. Yes, you do. No. Don't tell your mother. It was a theme. Oh, of yeah. SummerSlam 2015 in New York for WWE. Ah, sick. Which was that would be so yeah. good. I need to listen to that immediately. Same. I was not watching wrestling at that point. So. What? That was, oh, that's that right. You took a sabbatical took from a wrestling. Sabbatical from it. <laughs> that was when I got back yeah. in. Like that and NXT Brooklyn were the events that got me back in. What was the main event for that SummerSlam? Um, Brock versus Taker. Oh, no. Hell in a Cell. No, that was after. This was the, the regular match after Mania 30. Oh, yeah. It's like a year okay. and a bit after. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Good times. Nice. Well, oh. that I'm going to make that a project. I've decided I need to just make a list of things that I want to do at some point so that when I'm sitting here feeling anxious about the fact that I'm just sitting here, I can do something. I'm going to make that Tony Hawk playlist Please. and I'll add our offerings to it. Cool. 
and then I'll show it to Tony Hawk or Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk, yeah. And we'll become best friends, we and he'll to, come on the pod. We need to wrap this up so Richard and I can talk about the Firefly Funhouse. <laughs> hey, right. Question: What's well, the origin of Tony Hawk? It's just Sam used to call it Tony the, Hawk. So when Sam was a kid playing Tony Hawk, whatever he referred to it as Tony Hawk. Was Tony that Hawk. for? Was that through your brother? No, I think I just no, it's called just it you. Tony Hawk. <laughs> That's so cute. Didn't, didn't realize for ages. And then, like, uh, one of my friends in high school was like, Tony Hawk? I'm like, yeah, Tony Hawk. <laughs> well, it feels right to me. Yeah. I think for me, the most wholesome bit is just that pivot between Tony Hawk the person and Tony Hawk the game. <laughs> I love that so much. See, like, I've trained my brain for that. You have. Yes. Yeah. Like, it doesn't feel right calling it Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. It's Tony Hawk. Because, like, my brother isn't Antony. He's Antony. Yeah. It's like, I know that it's Tony. <laughs> oh, man. But, no, this will all come in handy when when we get Tony Hawk on the pod. Absolutely. Before we wrap up, hell yeah or yeah, nah? Hell yeah for the original, nah, yeah, nah for the cover. Same. Yep. Same. Yeah. Cool. We are in unison. So next week we are looking at the song Interstate Love Song by Stone Temple Pilots as covered by Memphis Mayfire. Uh, in the meantime, thanks for listening. Richard, as always, thank you for joining us as our third host. Thank you for having me. Um, I would love to come up with some sort of end thing for this, but that's fine. And that's that. <laughs>